Amen, amen, amen. Thank you guys so much. I feel like every time uh, we gather together as the body of Christ and Matt and those guys lead us, man, I see Jesus a little more clearer. And so thank you so much for leading us this morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You guys doing well? Yeah? Wow, really? That's great. Fantastic. Congratulations. Three of you clapped. That was incredible. How's everybody doing this morning? You guys doing well? Great. Hey, well, um, first off, man, uh, last night, I'm, I have no idea how many students and adults actually gave their life to Christ, but we saw, I'm, I'm going to guess, somewhere around 75 people stand up and walk out these doors last night, and that was incredible. And um, I have no idea, I, I, I have no idea if that was 20 of you that gave your life to Christ, or if that was one of you that gave your life to Christ, or if that was 70 of you, I, I don't know. Uh, but, man, the, the scripture tells us when one returns, the angels rejoice. And so, uh, man, we praise God for you and for, um, man, for the work that he did in your heart last night. And I believe wholeheartedly um, that God wants to continue a work today. And so if you would, we're just going to jump right in. Is that okay? Can we just go ahead and jump right in today? Is that good? All right. Actually, before we jump right in, stand up. Stand up for a second. Stand up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stand up. Oh my gosh. Stand up, right? Stand up. All right, here's what I need you to do, because I need you to engage a little bit with me this morning, and I'm feeling like we got a little bit of tiredness in us, and so I need you um, to step outside of your row and high-five five people that you uh, aren't in your youth group, and they're not in your row, okay? So five people, tell them your name, and then come back. You literally have 30 seconds. <clears throat> your love is better than life, oh, your love is. Okay, there we go. All right, you have 10 seconds to get back to your seat. 10, 9, Rocky Top, you'll always be home sweet home to me. Good old Rocky Top, Rocky Top, Tennessee. I actually hate that song, but every time I come into this state, I feel like I should just sing it. All right, you good? You guys good now? You good? All right, open up your Bibles to the New Testament, to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. This morning, we're going to be talking about what it looks like for the light of Christ to shine in us as we live among a dark and depraved and crooked, as Paul would say, generation. I'm going to give you three things today from the book of Philippians on what it looks like for us to allow, to posture ourselves. Remember, I'm going to use that word a lot. I know that you've heard that a lot here because I think it's really important that we begin to posture our lives in such a way to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to shine the gospel in our hearts. And so we're going to start here in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read this passage to you and then I'm going to just give you a little bit of background on the text because I think it's really important as we begin to understand why Paul, who is the author of this book, is writing what he's writing. So Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 12. You guys ready? You ready? Say, yep. Okay. Philippians chapter 2. I'm, I'm reading from the NIV. And so if your, your text is a little different, that's okay. Just follow along with me, okay? This is what Paul says. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, 
children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Okay, so the Apostle Paul is, is writing this letter, okay, and he's writing it from a prison in Rome. Okay, and in fact, at the time of this writing, Paul, when he's writing this letter, he has actually no idea what's getting ready to happen to him. His, his fate that's before him is going to go in one of two directions, okay? He's either going to be released from, from his imprisonment, and he's going to be set free to live a life that he's been living, or he's going to die. All right, so there's no, like, real thought process for him that he might rot in jail for the rest of his life. It literally is going to lead to either his execution or to his freedom. And for him, you know, he's he's writing this from a place where most of us would despise the thought of even being. You know, at our church that God has has placed me at, we we have a prison ministry, and it's amazing to hear the stories of how God works in the lives of people when they're physically behind bars. How they, you know, they lived a life of freedom, but they abused that freedom. Sin distorted their heart, and they thought they were pursuing something else. God literally puts them in a place because of their actions where they're behind bars, and then it's there in prison where God makes himself known to them, and they actually become alive. Oftentimes, we hear stories about prisons that are scary and dangerous, and it's very, very true. But it's often in those places where we would never want to see ourselves in a place like that, that God begins to work in the deepest recesses of our hearts. And Paul is writing this letter, he's writing it to the church in Philippi, okay? Philippi is an ancient, it's an important city, okay? It's an important city. Philippi is actually named after a man, okay, by the name of, can you guess what his name was? Philip! <laughs> rocket scientists in here, okay? Philip, that's right. Philip was actually the father of Alexander the Great, okay? So the city, the church that he's writing to, the body of believers, he's writing this letter to them is in a, is in a pretty important city in, the, in ancient history. In fact, the, the population of the city, okay, was somewhere around 250 to 500,000 people. Um, I did a little research this morning. Um, Johnson City has approximately 65,000 people, okay? Uh, have you got anybody here that lives in Johnson City? Got any Johnson City folk? Okay, Kingsport has around 60, and Bristol has around 26. Bristol, keep it real. It's okay, all right? Keep plugging along. We're going to just go ahead and round that up to about 150,000 people. So Philippi, the city of Philippi, was a city in ancient history that was bigger than all three of these cities combined. On a, much, on a much larger scale, it was an important city in Macedonia. In fact, it was home to a school of medicine. And many ancient scholars believe that that's actually the town and the city where Luke grew up. All right, the guy who would write the gospel of, golly, Pete, I'm telling you what, that's good stuff, right? The church in Philippi was started on one of Paul's missionary journeys, okay? So Paul, you guys remember, he was Saul, he was persecuting the believers. He meets Jesus on the road to where? Damascus, okay? He meets Jesus, the resurrected Lord, on the road to Damascus, gives his life to Christ, surrenders his life to, to Jesus. And then God sends him on a journey, and he and actually in Acts chapter 16 is where the church in Philippi is born. He runs across a lady who is described as a worshiper of God. She was someone who in the marketplace sold purple cloth. Does anybody know what her name was? Her name was Lydia. That's right. Lydia 
was one of the first people for the Philippian church. And then later you see, just a few verses later, Paul is put in prison. Something crazy happens. The walls start to fall down. The Philippian jailer freaks out and thinks, oh no, everybody's gone out, but Paul's still there. Right? And what happens to the Philippian jailer? He comes to know Jesus, right? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Those were the first believers in the Philippian church. And when Paul's writing this letter, this is about 10 to 15 years later after that conversion. And the church has grown exponentially. The church is growing in number. What started with just a few in Lydia's household, and then the Philippian jailer grew to be a large number of people. And this place was really, really special to Paul's heart. Paul had a deep love and a deep affection for the Philippian church. And he's writing to them, he's writing this letter to them to remind them that their joy is not found in their circumstances. I feel like maybe for some of you in here, that might, that might actually be the one thing you need to hear today. That your joy is not wrapped up in your current circumstance right now. It's not wrapped up in your, it's not wrapped up in your, in your circumstance of suffering. There's something greater in your suffering that we're going to look at. Your joy is not wrapped up in your circumstance. Your joy is solidified in the beauty of Jesus. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three things that the church in Philippi had that allowed the joy of Christ to shine in them, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Number one, you guys got your pens? Go ahead and pull them out. Okay, pull out your pens, pull out your phones, whatever it is that you got. If you're going to tweet it, whatever, that's the new amen. I know that. Okay, all right. So whatever it is, I just want you to take some notes. This is going to be pretty practical for you this morning because I feel like sometimes when we come to these events, we get big picture stuff, but sometimes we just need some things tangible that we can walk away with, right? So that's what we're going to get today, okay? We're going to get some tangible things that we can begin to walk with. All right, how did the Philippians posture their lives in such a way to allow the light of Jesus to shine in them? Number one, through their obedience. Through their obedience. Listen, listen to what Paul says about them here in chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear brothers, my dear friends, as you have always, what's that word? <clears throat> Obeyed. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, just as you have always obeyed. Listen, obedience is at the heart of your walk with Jesus. We talked about this last night. But I want to make sure that we really, really reiterate this. The Philippian church had a reputation with Paul. They they were known by something. And that something was their obedience. He makes a pretty bold statement. Therefore, church... Just as you have always obeyed, not only when I was with you when things were good, but also in my absence, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my pain, the reputation of the Philippian church was that of obedience. Let me just ask you a question. What is your reputation? What do people say about you? Let let me actually just pull this out a little bit more. What do other people in your community say about your youth group? What's the reputation of your youth group? Are you a youth group that's marked by joy and obedience in Christ, or are you a youth group that's marked by gossip? What what do other people in your community know to be true about 
Jesus through the way that you are living. Let me even put this a little bit more on the ground level because this one really hurt me when I was in middle school. Like I said, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, right? Gave my life to Christ, so go back to my home. What are your parents, what would, if I was going to ask your parents what their, their view of your reputation would be in the home, what would they say? What, what would they say about you? Man, Jason, I hear in the, at youth group, he, he's, uh, man, he's the guy, he's the leader, he's the, he's the one. But when he gets home, it's a whole different ballgame. What would your teacher say about you? What would your best friends say about you? What is the mark? What is the defining mark about you? Paul, I love this, Paul says that for the Philippian church, they had a mark, and it was a mark of obedience even when circumstances weren't good. You know, just a, a few minutes ago, um, before we even got started, you, you heard from some of our friends right down here on my left and your right, from, that, from the International Mission Board. If I could just take a little, uh, just a second and just go on a little rabbit, rabbit trail as I stand up here on this stage, I'm looking around at all of these flags. I'm seeing all these different countries. And then right here to my left, there's one that really hits home with me. It's the flag of Malaysia. It kind of looks like the American flag. I've been to Malaysia about 15 times. My father-in-law, who was not a believer, was killed in a motorcycle accident in that country when he was working overseas. I've got groups of high school students that live for the entire summer in that country. I've got friends that I keep up with on Instagram and Facebook and Skype and FaceTime that live in that country. Let me ask you a question. What's it going to take for that country who is 85% Muslim to come to know the beauty of Jesus Christ? It's going to take a generation of students that are sitting in this room that are willing to be obedient, to live a life of obedience. Listen, Jesus isn't after the fireworks in your life. He's after the closet of obedience. He's not after you going to your campus waving the banner. I'm an awesome Christian. Man, I made the varsity team. Man, things are great. Things are going awesome. Look at me. Look how awesome I am. He's looking at a posture of obedience. Even obedience in the midst of difficult and trying times. What's it going to take for, for these, these nations to see the light of Christ come to their land? What's it going to take for the thousands of unreached people groups to hear the name of Jesus whispered on their ear for the very first time? It's going to take a generation of Christ's followers that will die to themselves and live a life of obedience every step of the way. And it's not a group of people that idolize their reputation. It's a group of people that idolize their Savior who changes their reputation. Don't let your re reputation become an idol. Jesus tells us in the New Testament to seek first his kingdom, to seek first the heart of God, and then God starts to add all these things to you. Don't try to be a better person. Try to follow the one who lived his life perfectly and resurrected from the grave. Pursue his heart and watch him change your reputation. What, are, what is your mark right now? What's the mark that you are leaving? Here's my challenge to you. Leave the mark, the same mark that the Philippian church left, that of obedience in your wake. When you, some of you, you have a hard time even fathoming this because it feels so, so far away. But when you graduate high school, 
and you go off to college, and you look at that wake behind you that you left in your home, man, I hope that your parents would be able to look back and say, Matthew or Jennifer or whatever your name is, lived a life of joyful obedience in my home. They were willing to go wherever I called them to go and to do. Listen, that's, that's, what it, that's what it is to be a believer, right? It's to live your life in obedience, a life with open hands. The way that we say it at our church is this, is put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map. Put your yes on the table and let, put your obedience on the table and say, God, David Platt says it like this, put your blank check out there. Say, God, my life is a blank check, use it forever. I want to be obedient to you. You need to know something, though. Obedience is not going to lead to a life of safety, plain and simple. It's going to lead to a life of following Christ, which is a life of pain and suffering, but joy in the midst of it all. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Your attitude affects your actions. Your attitude affects your actions. Let's just, let's go back here. I'm going to read the whole passage again, all the way up to this verse in verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You know, when you surrender your life in obedience, what you realize is that it's God who works in you. It's not your ability to perform. It's God doing it in you, right? Obedience is an act of growth. It's God who's working out an understanding. I, I, I remember this. It's, you, guys need to, you guys really need to grasp this, okay? It's not your performance. It's not your performance that puts the, 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 the resume of salvation out there. It's Christ's performance on your behalf and then every day just surrendering to that and fixing your eyes on it and remembering it. And then allowing the Spirit of God to grow you into a muscular Christian. We have a lot of weak Christians. We have a lot of wimps. A lot of people that say they love Jesus but aren't willing to get into the weeds of obedience. And, and really be grown as, as Christians with muscle on them. It's God who does this work in you. And then this is what he says in verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Okay, so at this point, there are murmurs going on in the church because Paul's in jail and there's some persecution going on. They're, they're experiencing the suffering from a distance. Like, man, our leader, the guy who like, helped like, build this church is imprisoned, right? What is God doing? Why is God doing this right now in, in, our, in our midst in this church? Why all the pain? Why all the hurt? I think it was Einstein, I'm getting ready to quote Einstein here. I think it was Einstein that said weakness of attitude becomes weakness of character. Man, it's, it's so easy in the midst of your difficult circumstance, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain to think God hates me. God's not interested in me anymore. Um, you know, in our culture right now, there is... Um, there's a, a couple different pushes when we look at suffering and pain. One of them is this idea, it's, it's word of faith teaching, and, and what it says, if you have just enough faith, you'll never suffer. And if you experience suffering and pain, it's because you didn't have enough faith. In fact, there's a, an account of a pastor who preached this from his pulpit week in and week out, and he was saying that, man, you know, if... if 
If you have enough faith, you'll never suffer until his wife got breast cancer. And all, then all of a sudden, he was forced with, a, with an option. I can either denounce all the things I've been saying because my wife, who's a godly woman, now is suffering, or I can rebuke her in front of the whole church, and he chose the latter. He said she lacked faith. To quote one pastor, that's not word of faith teaching, that's faithless teaching. I just finished up this morning in my Bible reading plan, I just finished up the book of Job. You ever read the book of Job? Anybody? Anybody ever read the book of Job? Woo, that's exciting stuff, isn't it? Said nobody. You know, it's interesting. As you look throughout Job's life, what you see is that his character is forged in the soil of suffering. His character and his mind never wavered in the midst of his suffering. Even when his closest friends looked at him and tried to get, this is the crazy thing. I'm reading Job. And you're seeing all these things happen to him where his cattle get taken away and he gets physical things. I mean, he, things just start going wrong for Job and they start going wrong quickly. You know the old saying, when it rains, it pours? That is like, that is happening to Job. I've been through a season of my life where I felt like all the walls were coming down, all right? I can't really identify with Job in that sense, but I, I feel like I had a hint of it. And then Job's friends come along and you read their advice and it actually sounds like really good advice. Like, I'm reading it, I'm like, yeah, Job, listen to your buddies. Like, this is good, this is a good word. But he refused to listen to the worldly wisdom. He refused to give in to this idea that he had done something wrong to cause the suffering. And you know what's crazy? He was told to reject his God, to walk away, to look at the sin of his heart, and that's what brought about this pain. Surely death was in front of him because he was suffering. You know what the last verse of Job says, Job 42, at the very end of it? It says, through it all, the very end, Job lived a long and joyful life. God wants to work in you in the midst of your suffering. God wants to work in your heart something that you have never experienced. Listen. How you respond in the midst of a season of suffering for your life will probably be the greatest shining light to a lost world. I know right now there's a lot of students in here, you're like, man, you're talking about suffering, I'm in seventh grade, I don't really know much about that yet. But some of you in here are experiencing it right now, your parents are divorced, or they are in the midst of it. Your mom just got diagnosed with breast cancer. Your dad just got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. You just lost one of your best friends. I think I may have told you guys a story a couple of years ago when I was here, but I, I, one of my students, a kid by the name of Noah Spivey, was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma bone cancer when he was 14 years old. It's a rare form of bone cancer. He went through several rounds of radiation and chemo. The kid never, never lost sight of Jesus, ever. Goes through remission, it comes back. He goes through remission, it comes back. And one day I was at his house, hanging out with his mom and dad. He was 17 years old, 16 years old at the time. I was hanging out with his dad and his mom brought him in the home and he was completely wiped out from his radiation. And he comes in and he literally walks in and he lays down on the table and he falls down on his back on the dining room table. Completely wiped out, no energy in him. And his dad walks over to him, the heart of a father, walks over to his son, wraps his arms around his son and said, Oh, Noah, 
if only I could trade places with you. I would do anything to take this pain and suffering away. And Noah said one of the most profound words I've ever heard from a teenager. In a place of weakness, he didn't look at his dad and say, me too. He looked at his father in the eyes and he said, dad, if I were not going through what I'm going through right now, I would never know who Jesus is more than I do right now. You know, it's easy to start the grumbling and murmuring. What is God doing? What is, what is he up to? Why is he doing these things? And Paul was reminding the church, don't let my suffering affect your joy. You know what's crazy about all that? If you just press pause on it and you just kind of step back, you're like, this is crazy, okay? The Philippian church was founded when, like, when Paul was in jail. And one of the jailers come to faith, suffering for the gospel. But even more so than that, when you rewind it a little further back, the one who proclaimed the gospel to that jailer and to Lydia was actually the one who was trying to stop a movement of God dead in its tracks in the early book of Acts. He was the one bringing about suffering to the people of God, and now he was suffering for the glory of God. And what he was saying is, don't let my circumstance, don't let my suffering affect your joy. There's joy in the morning. You know, in one of the most depressing books of the Bible, the book of Lamentations, you see this in chapter 3. There's a lot of things going wrong, and the writer of Lamentations says, in the midst of all this, yet this I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, I am not consumed. His compassions never fail. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness towards me. This, this word to, to maybe just one of you here that's going through that, this might just be for you. Jesus and the joy that is found in him is greater than the circumstance that you are going through right now. The writer of Hebrews would say this, and I'm going to say it to you. In the midst of this difficult pain, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorned at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There is hope beyond your trial. Paul looked at the church and threw a letter and he said, don't let suffering define you. Be obedient because your obedience is going to lead to future suffering. But there's great, great joy in Christ found on the other side. Number three, you want the light of Christ to shine in you. Cling to the word of God. Cling to it. Cling to it. This, this, is, this is what he says. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Remember that God is sovereign. He's in control beyond all those circumstances. Your joy is not found in the midst of your suffering. Your joy is found in the king, in the king who endured the suffering. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life, as you hold fast to the word of life, 
The greatest testimony that you have is to cling to the word of God for your life. Here's what I'm afraid of, y'all. Here's, here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that many of us in this room are claiming to follow Jesus, but we've, we've neglected his word. We love the idea of movements of God, but we've never spent moments with him in the word. We love the idea of doing things together with the group of people, but we don't know the person that put this group of people together. That's Jesus. We love the idea of, man, of walking with Jesus, but we don't love the grind of getting in the word every single day to be with him. You guys realize you're going to have to fight every day to hold fast to the word of God. You're going to have to fight for it. And can I tell you something? It's one of the most important things that you'll ever do. The psalmist would say it like this. How does a young man or woman keep their way pure? How does a young man not live a life of sin? Don't, isn't that a question if you're following Jesus that you would want to know the answer to? How does a young man or woman keep their way pure? How do I follow Jesus? He gives you the answer right after that. By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. One of the greatest things you could ever do to stand upright in a crooked and depraved generation. That word in the Greek for crooked is actually the word that we get for scoliosis. Right? A crooked spot. It's this idea that the generation that you live in has gone off the beaten path because of sin. It's been skewed. But what Paul says is, you're called to live upright lives among a people that are crooked. He says, if you want to do that, you are going to have to hold fast to the word of God. Because that is where God has revealed himself to you. That's where you cling to your joy in. That's where the hope of the gospel is found, is right here in his word. Psalm 119, 111, your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Your testimonies, in verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. When you go back in the book of Deuteronomy, when you see why God gave the Ten Commandments to the people of God, like, we hate this idea of rules, don't we? Like, we rebel against rules. You're like, oh, great, the Ten Commandments. You know what Moses says? You know why he says that the, 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 uh, the commands of God were given? So that they might experience life, that they would not go back to the place of slavery and death that they just came from. The word of God is not meant, okay, it's not meant to bring death to you. It's to keep you away from the death you've been rescued from and to show you the way of life. That's why the word of God is before you. Cling to it. It is your hope. Jesus is our hope and he is found right here in the scripture. John Piper gives us a couple of things. I'm going to give them to you of, of why we hold fast to the word of God. He says this, you hold fast to it for the sake of your faith. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You and I need our faith strengthened. Hold fast to the word of God for the sake of your faith. Hold fast to it. Hold fast to it for the sake of your joy. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The word of God proclaimed over us is for our joy. Cling to the word of God. Hold fast to it for the sake of your freedom. John 8, 31. If you abide in my word, 
you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Listen, this is important. Because the crooked and depraved generation in which we live is selling you a lie. Selling you a lie. That lie is that you can find joy and happiness and life abundantly. That's what the whole gospel of John is about. It's about where you find life. And the lie that the world sells to you is, I know that God said one thing, but you can have a little bit of this. I know that I know that I'm supposed to find my identity in Christ, but I'm, I'm buying into the lie that I'm, my identity is found in my boyfriend or my girlfriend. And then what happens when you break up with them? Your identity is crushed. Crushed. It's because you bought into the lie that your hope and your joy and your security is found in a relationship with somebody else. It's a hint of a really good thing that you were created for. Jesus. A relationship with Jesus. Hold fast to the word of God for your freedom. Don't buy into the lie and then hold fast to it for the sake of your holiness. John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them in the truth for your word is truth. Can I tell you something? There are people all over the world that have never even heard the name of Jesus. And we've got his story right in front of us, yet for some reason we never spend time growing in it. Y'all, this is not a boring book. When you, when you start to open up the word of God and you read the, the story of God from Genesis to Revelation, it's captivating. You know why? Because it's the story you were created for. To know the God of the universe. You want to walk with Jesus you want his light to shine in you, you got to get out of the darkness and put yourself where the light of Christ is made known right here in his word. Here's my challenge to you. All right, I'm going to give you a really practical challenge. You ready? Start off in one of the gospels. Let's just call it the gospel of John. And I want you to spend every day of the month, this, this month, for a month, just get in it and read it. Every single day, read it. Read the words of Jesus. Read what he says about where you find life. Read about what he says about abiding in him and when you, when you bear fruit. And apart from him is death and in him is life. Read it and memorize it. Find some verses. Ask your youth pastors to help you. Ask your youth leaders to help you to memorize some scripture this month. Take, just get one verse, y'all. Memorize one verse and recall it to memory. Recall it to memory. Hide it deep in the crevices of your heart so you would not sin against the Lord, but you would pursue him. You want to shine like stars in the universe? You want to shine that light that's burning in you? You first have to be consumed by the one who is light. And that light is the life of men. And his name is Jesus. What's your reputation? Do you have a reputation of obedience? Don't allow the circumstances that you're going through to define your joy. Cling to where your joy is found, and that's in Christ, and pursue him wholeheartedly every single day by going to his word, that you and I might grow in his likeness for his name's sake right here in Johnson City 
and maybe one day to Malaysia. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the beautiful picture that our lives are not defined by our circumstances. They're defined by you. Lord, we know that the message of the gospel is not a message of of hope. It is the only hope. It's the ultimate reality. Help us not to cling to anything else. Break our idols. Destroy them. Help us to cling and hold fast to the word, your word, to us in the scripture. God, and as we grow more in your likeness, help us to stand upright in a crooked and depraved generation, even when the world would say, curse your God and die. That we might say, Jesus is better. Father, I pray that you would raise up this group of students right here in this city, right here in this sanctuary, right here in these churches, and in these homes. I pray that you would raise them up to be young men and women that pursue you wholeheartedly. That would strip away the weight of sin that easily entangles them. They would fix their eyes on you, the author and perfecter of their faith. Lord, I pray that when they encounter pain and suffering this year, maybe even some of them when they go back home, that they would take great hope in the resurrected King. God, and I pray that as we become more like you, we'd be consumed with your glory, we would behold the glory of Jesus, we would look and see the glory of God in, in him and his Christ. I pray that you would propel us to a life of obedience to those that have never heard. God, I pray that as you've been stirring in the hearts of even some of these students in here today and leaders, college students and adults, God, that they would put their yes on the table and you put it on the map, whether that's in their workplace where they're at right now or whether you're calling them to spend a Christmas in China, summer overseas or to uproot their family and move to a different country for the sake of the gospel, God, I pray that you would have your way with us. Lord, we don't want to be people that has the light of life and then hides it under a bowl. We want to shine that light like a city on a hill for the glory of your name and not ours. In Jesus' name we pray.